welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. We're continuing our coverage of COVID-19 and its impact on impoverished communities across the world. Today, our coverage takes us to Myanmar and Indonesia. On today's program, we'll hear from Sri Wulandari, who is a Myanmar Country Officer for Unionate Abroad, AFIDA. In Myanmar, Wulandari works with local unions to support their capacity to organise and bargain for better wages and conditions, and she's previously worked with the Global Union Building and Woodworkers International in the Asia-Pacific and the Asia Monitoring Resource Centre. Today's audio was recorded over an international Zoom meeting hosted by AFIDA Union Aid Abroad. At times, the internet connection is a little bit choppy, but because it was important to bring you this story, I thought you might be able to just bear through those periods of inconsistent internet connection. Later in the program, I'll tell you how you can support the COVID-19 work that a feeder is doing. My presentation will focus the unions responding uh, crisis, also the impact of uh, COVID on uh, uh, workers' rights in uh, Myanmar and also a bit about uh, Indonesia. So we, we, we start uh, with, the, with the Myanmar. Uh, it's a country that's uh, a bit late in, uh, in uh, identifying case of COVID-19. But even before that, it's already severely hit by uh, COVID-19 that uh, since December until the end of April, that at least around uh, 175 cases of the operation. And then uh, uh, after Barbie's uh, New Year, the government issued an instruction to temporarily uh, shut down all the facts for the inspection to uh, inspect whether the met all the safety standards to contain the COVID-19 outbreak at the at the factory. And then so the, the shutdown period is uh, between April 20 to April 30, and then now it's extended to May uh, 15. And uh, if this is uh, continued, like uh, at least uh, 60,000 registered factories in Myanmar, they uh, will face irreversible uh, damage. Uh, I mean, they will lose all the profit and they might have to slow down their uh, operation for uh, many years uh, after this. And then also uh, we need to remember that 83% of Myanmar or uh, 18 million workers, they are in the informal workers. And then with all this uh, called uh, semi-lockdown in Myanmar, uh, their jobs, their daily incomes, especially the construction uh, sector, and then also in a, there is an issue of the shortage of a raw material that has uh, happened uh, since uh, December uh, last year. So that's the outlook of uh, Myanmar. So I, I will start with the outlook of uh, Myanmar, Indonesia, and then the union response and what kind of uh, international uh, solidarity uh, that we could uh, develop uh, further. So um, in March, there's already tripartite uh, dialogue uh, on this uh, uh, COVID-19 Minister of uh, Labor. 
and then uh, on April 7th, the Minister uh, of the Official COVID-19 uh, Tripartite Committee with the engagement of the trade unions and the uh, Employers uh, Association. Uh, the thing is that all this COVID pandemic crisis uh, happened in the middle of the dialogue of the minimum wage uh, setting in Myanmar. So in Myanmar, the minimum wage is set in uh, once in uh, every two years. So this year, uh, the minimum wage should be uh, increased and it should be uh, and the new minimum wage should be enforced in uh, March. But of course, it did not happen because of this uh, crisis. And then. Uh, in the beginning of uh, March, uh, there was a sort of like a, a, it's very like a, it's not really a commitment, but there was a discussion in the tripartite that the new minimum wage uh, likely uh, will be enforced in September. But then after Burmese New Year, we have not heard anything uh, anymore about this uh, minimum wage issue. So it's a uh, it's a uh, delayed. But then. Uh, one point that I would like to uh, highlight, uh, because it's related to Indonesia omnibus law uh, later on. Uh, in the middle of the which Myanmar in January, the approved the amendment of the minimum wage law. This amendment uh, stipulates that uh, the minimum wage, uh, the minimum wage, should not be uh, fixed in a, in a certain period of time. It can be uh, fixed anytime, depending on the negotiation between employers and uh, and the workers. So it's sort of like a liberalization of a uh, wage in uh, in uh, Myanmar. The the thing is that uh, many factories, I mean the university in Myanmar is very low on only zero point six percent, and then it reflects the low uh, bargaining. Uh, position of, of the workers. So all these things uh, happen within the January and February while workers are coping with the factories uh, closure and, uh, and everything. And then now uh, there is a delay uh, uh, regarding this uh, minimum wage uh, issues. Um, of course, uh, garment sector is uh, severely uh, hit in, uh, in Myanmar. And then uh, well, <laughs> there's a common. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's already some uh, global initiative uh, developed to uh, overcome this uh, crisis in the in the garment sector. Like, for instance, like uh, encouraging bipartite dialogue, and also to push uh, the brands to pay the manufacturer to finish the production, and also for the brand to. Uh, to keep paying the suppliers until uh, end of our contract. So, if possible, brands to provide uh, direct uh, for the factories and supplier to pay the workers. But this is a very immediate uh, solution, you know, just like uh, also EU, they have already set up a global fund in Myanmar to compensate uh, workers for three months' wages. But it's all uh, immediate solution, but the question that we need to be discussed later then what would happen after this three to uh, six months? So now that's the outlook of Myanmar. So now if you look at uh, Indonesia, uh, workers have been uh, impacted by this uh, COVID-19, like 1.6 million workers for love. So they did. And then uh, Indonesia is anticipating 2.9 to 5.2 job uh, losses. Yes, uh, break.
Um, so what happened? So uh, since uh, last quarter of uh, of uh, last year, and then also early this year, there's this uh, contracted omnibus law, which is uh, basically intended to uh, simplify all the procedure and uh, regulation uh, for uh, investment in Indonesia. And also the basic intention is that uh, there are so many barriers for a uh, lab intensive uh, industry in Indonesia. Like uh, before, uh, with, the, with the investment regulation that uh, Indonesia has, it could only accommodate the creation of a job for a uh, 200,000 uh, uh, workers uh, in an in a annual uh, basis. But then how to double the, the job uh, creation. So that's the, the main intention of the bill. So actually, this omnibus law is a compilation of all kind of law and regulation into, into one uh, law. And then there is this uh, content labor provision uh, uh, within this bill, yeah, and then this con it is very contested because it uh, actually it uh, promotes a further uh, flex flexibilized uh, labor uh, relation, like it introduced the unlimited duration of a contract and also potential uh, changes of uh, wage uh, system and also reduction of uh, severance payment and also a reduction of uh, rights uh, to leave. Um, again, it's it's a, it's a pro it's not only it promotes a flexibilization of uh, of a labor relation, but also some areas are liberalized, like a wage uh, negotiation and also uh, contract issues. And uh, if we look at the labor code, which uh, was just introduced in uh, Vietnam, there are also some similarity regarding this uh, flexibilization of a uh, uh, contract uh, of, uh, of labor. So this pandemic happened. Uh, and also in the same time, uh, many Southeast Asian countries, the labor law in Southeast Asian countries are uh, moving uh, forward yeah, toward the further uh, flexibilization of uh, uh, of a labor and also further liberalization or deregulation, yeah, of a, of a, of a regulatory uh, framework. So it's a <laughs> multi challenge. It's a, it's a double uh, challenge that uh, we are uh, facing here. Um, of course, uh, with this uh, pandemic, uh, the. The, the discussion of or, or the passage of this uh, labor provision in the in the omnibus law uh, is uh, was uh, delayed uh, last month uh, because the government said they just wanted to wait for another uh, round of a stakeholder uh, discussion, so uh, it was uh, delayed in uh, in April. So that's the outlook of uh, Myanmar and then uh, Indonesia. Um, of course, for the government measure from Indonesia, there is uh, some budget uh, allocated for the healthcare, social protection, and also tax incentive for credit and uh, and business. And then, yeah, I mean, everywhere, including Myanmar and Indonesia, in uh, when it comes to uh, practice, it's a bit uh, chaotic because I think these two countries, I mean, like others, are not really uh, ready in the in dealing with this uh, pandemic. Uh, crisis. 
so i mean let's go to the point of uh, of uh, discussion after this uh, uh, outlook of these uh, two countries um once there is discussion internal discussion in afida but it's very interesting uh, discussion that uh, uh, encourage us to assess uh, the field uh, situation it's a uh, it's uh, regarding the effectiveness of uh, alternating the production line by producing uh, ppes and healthcare uh, facilities okay as for uh, myanmar uh, the government has uh, made a commitment that uh, four factories uh, would produce, uh, would start producing face mask, and also um, there is there's already one uh, healthcare uh, factory in Myanmar, but it's uh, the product is for uh, to, uh, to be exported to Hong Kong. But then now the government uh, and the factory had an agreement that they could buy this uh, healthcare product for the domestic uh, market. So basically, this is not alternating the production line; it's just a new arrangement between this. Uh, Myanmar government and this uh, factory. For Indonesia, yes, yeah, some national-owned textile company they start uh, producing uh, PPEs and then also uh, fast mask. But then, yeah, I mean, this bring us to uh, different uh, issues like. Uh, in alternating the production lines, it requires the availability of a raw material and also government-to-government uh, -government, uh, arrangement and then also certain level of the workers' skill. I mean, if we uh, review the the, G, the recent G20 meeting, like there is a sort of like a potential a new job division among countries yeah, in this uh, pandemic uh, crisis on who... Uh, producing what and then who will uh, supply the raw material and then who will uh, provide the fund uh, we don't know how this uh, will go in the in the future whether there will be a new international job division whether it will uh, lead to a new uh, trade uh, agreement or how this thing uh, will uh, intersect with the existing uh, trade uh, agreement is there Maybe we should have a discussion because we are completely against the all the existing uh, trade agreement. But then now this pandemic crisis, uh, we all have to uh, work uh, together. But of course, not in a in a in a context of capitalism, but more in a context of uh, solidarity. And then, uh, <laughs> what about the union's uh, strategy? What possible uh, 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 strategy that could be uh, developed by the union? First, uh, this is based on the on the field situation uh, in a, in a Myanmar, and also a bit about uh, from Indonesia that it is important for the union to start expanding the organizing scope, reaching out former members who just lost their jobs during this uh, crisis and potentially become informal workers because we don't know when the when the manufacturing sector will uh, revive again, will uh, rebounds again. So the unions. Uh, this is not a new discourse, but they, they have to start uh, thinking uh, about this. And uh, especially in a, in a Myanmar, it's very important for the union to seize the opportunity uh, uh, in, a, in a COVID-19 uh, tripartite dialogue. Basically, this is uh, sort of like a local effort, how to influence the policy making uh, 
at the local level this policy making that will affect the employers uh, behavior uh, at the national level and also cross sector alliance that could shape bargaining power at the grassroots level is a very uh, important like for instance uh, the unions working together with the farmer group to ensure the sustainability of uh, of food during this uh, crisis yeah um, So what about the international uh, solidarity? I think the uh, pand pandemic has uh, reshaped uh, many things, including uh, cross-border and uh, labor mobility in uh, in a general. And Debbie has uh, mentioned a bit about the migration. So um, let's talk about this cross-border or our universal social protection, universal wage uh, system and healthcare, and also uh, social contract. Uh, as a part of a discussion on the alternative uh, supply chain and then uh, due diligence. So um, let's, I mean, let's start something with something uh, feasible and, and then uh, possible, yeah, like we can uh, review the global framework agreement or any kind of uh, regulation either at the local or uh, national or, you know, at the, at the global level. Which part of the political negotiation between investor and government that we can uh, influence to push for the for the uh, social uh, contract? And I think also it's important for the activists uh, at the global level uh, need to set up sort of like a monitoring system for initiatives such as like erasing the debt or a global fund initiative that. All this initiative would not further legitimize uh, autocratic uh, autocratic uh, regime, yeah. And also, um, this is basically uh, similar to what Debbie said. Uh, it's about the corporate uh, culture, but let's do uh, something concrete to denounce this uh, culture, yeah. Let's revisit again these uh, companies uh, having a scandal regarding tax haven and how to pull out this fund for a. Universal social protection, universal uh, healthcare, as such. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. You're listening to Sri Wulandari, who is the Myanmar Country Officer for Union Aid Abroad, AFIDA. At this point in the meeting, we went into question time. Wolandari responds to a question about good examples of migrant workers and NGOs that are organising, as well as the situation for women workers. For uh, migrant workers, uh, the situation is uh, it's just uh, very uh, bad, I would say, because, uh, like for example, in Thailand, At first, the government say they would give an amnesty for the for the migrant workers whose visa uh, is expired, but there is no clarity about the regulation. So we um, we witness uh, thousands of migrant workers flock in into the border because they are scared they could not access uh, basic needs during the lockdown in a uh, in a uh, Thailand, yeah, before uh, Burmese New Year, and there is no uh, quarantine uh, facilities uh, provided. And just like Debbie said, in Myanmar, Indian, it's a it's a civil society group or activist. They come up with the initiative to uh, provide a shelter uh, for uh, Myanmar migrant workers. But again, uh, it's another uh, exposed to a reality. For example, the migrant workers coming back from China to Kachin State, it really exposed the 
illegal workers uh, recruitment in a, in a Kachin uh, state that nobody uh, could be held responsible to uh, take care of these uh, migrant workers. Yeah, there is, in the end, there is a, a, a quarantine uh, facility provided by the government, but it's very uh, basic and also not uh, sufficient. And it uh, encourage a more discussion in Myanmar about this illegal uh, workforce uh, agency in the Kachin state that uh, bringing in the migrant uh, workers uh, to China. But of course, in a, in a Thailand, uh, I think like in Thai Burma uh, border, uh, Afida's uh, partner, they uh, like a map radio and also this uh, uh, migrant workers, uh, Mekong workers network, Sanjeeva knows this uh, group, they, they also uh, channel uh, Red Cross aid for, for, the, for the construction workers who get uh, stuck in a, in a in Thailand, especially in, in a Phuket or a, in, a, in a certain part of, of the Thailand during uh, COVID-19, yeah, and also I think the uh, radio campaign is uh, very uh, useful for the migrant workers, but useful in a sense just to let them know how to access a very uh, basic and uh, sufficient uh, resources. So, um, yeah, that's what I can answer to that uh, question, Kat. We have not uh, witnessed a very uh, effective uh, aid or assistance uh, for uh, migrant workers during this crisis. Of, I, mean, I mean, of course, there are many uh, civil groups. Uh, they are proactive, uh, like I said before, like, like in Myanmar, providing a quarantine for the migrant workers. But yeah, that's just, just all. Uh, I mean, this is what uh, I would like to add. Uh, Maybe maybe we can work on a something on a, on a regional basis uh, on this. Like for example, there is an MOU between Thailand and Myanmar, and also MOU between Thailand and Laos, and MOU between Thailand and then uh, Vietnam. I think uh, I had a bit discussion with Debbie in Myanmar in a, in a March 2018. Uh, but this MOU it's very like a standard about the employment contract, and then the the period uh, these migrant workers could stay in in a Thailand, and then when they have to go back again, and then you know, but there is no any uh, regulation about when this pandemic happened, what about the coverage of uh, social uh, protection? And where the migrant, uh, wherever the mine, you know, the migrant workers, they have to pay for the social uh, security and also, uh, uh, sorry, they have to pay for health insurance to, to workforce agencies before they are being deployed in Thailand. But see, in this situation, where is the money? You know, and then both uh, government, like, they, they don't know how to take care of this uh, uh, returnee or how to anticipate uh, the, the returnee. So I think this is something that we can uh, work on as well on the regional basis. Let's review again this MOU of uh, migrant uh, workers in a, in a Mekong uh, countries. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a concrete thing that we can uh, do and then develop uh, further. The impact on, on the women, of course, for uh, Myanmar and also Indonesia, especially textile and uh, garment. In Myanmar, 90% of uh, textile and garment workers, they are uh, women uh, workers. They are uh, impacted in, a, in a many ways. And then the, the scariest part is a, is a debt trap. Yeah, they, they, uh, because they have to pay uh, bills. Yeah, they have to pay uh, for the uh, for the hostel rent. They have to pay uh, for the food and everything. So, um, well, I would say 
in the in the future if they if they do not have work there is no choice but they will be, uh, they will be uh, they will engage themselves they will marketize themselves in a in a informal economy but already we have a complex uh, situation for example of uh, human trafficking like a forced marriage like many uh, Burmese uh, women uh, were keep, uh, what is it offer the job in China but actually uh, they are trapped in a, in a either a sort of like become a sex worker or a forced marriage uh, in China so yeah there's a severe impact on the on these uh, women uh, workers so far uh, they are covered by this uh, okay there is this as i mentioned earlier there is this uh, global fund set up by eu called myangku targeting uh, women workers losing their jobs at the garment and textile but they, but this is sort of like a cash aid so they compensate three to six month wages for the women workers who lost their jobs in the, in the garment and textile uh, factories the problem again, Debbie, I agree with you. This exposes a lot of reality. You know, the problem is that many workers they do not have ID card. They are recruited uh, uh, in a, in a very uh, casual uh, manner to work in the in the factory. Even though now Afida and partner try to set up tracking mechanism, but this also give us uh, a lot of thought on what to do uh, in the in the future the protection of women not only confined uh, to the protection in the in the workplace is is already something that we are doing and it's difficult to achieve uh, how the woman is fully protected from sexual harassment and violence at the workplace but there are also other things that we need to work on you know the, the casualization of work, the casual uh, recruitment process, the fact that women in Myanmar many they do not have a ID card it means they could not access uh, public uh, facilities and also uh, a lot of uh, service. Even they cannot access this uh, compensation uh, scheme because they do not have a ID card. So yeah, it's a grim uh, situation, I would say. That was Sri Walandri, who is the Myanmar Country Officer for Union Aid Abroad, AFIDA. If you want to support the work of AFIDA, and particularly their COVID-19 appeal, go to afida.org.au. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. This week's program was produced in my study at home with the incredible support of 3CR staff. I want to extend a very big thank you to them for ensuring that this program is still able to be heard right across the country. Accent of Women receives financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.